While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Okay, Andrew, welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Like I said, your name is Andrew. Are you on... (laughs) Breaking, breaking, breaking. Spoiler alert. Are you on Team Dishwasher or Team Central Air? Team Central Air Conditioning. Okay, now this is not which one is better. (laughs) This uh, This is a question that arose on my Twitter, the hippest part of the internet, um craig's twitter is the best place to go for baseball (laughs) tweets and like out of context like emotional venting yeah (laughs) so so uh laura and i are looking for a new apartment and because we just love leaks so much we just can't bear to part with the one we're in right now you're gonna move to a place with more leaks Uh uh-huh Okay. Uh, so we are looking for a new apartment and we saw one today that was really nice. It had a lot of stuff that we wanted, et cetera, et cetera. Get to the end of the little mini tour and I go, oh, this place doesn't have central air, does it? Okay. The woman who's currently renting is like, yeah, but I've got three window units. It does, it does a job just fine. Right. Okay. We left the place thinking, oh, this is pretty good. And then Laura realized there was no dishwasher, and all of a sudden, I was livid. Like, I had not planned <laughs> my response to that news. I was Wait, upset. there was no dishwasher and no central air conditioning? See, that's like, what I'm saying. What do you... What's the choice? The choice is go look for another apartment Yeah, the choice is the blow that want. place up, because no one should live there. <laughs> but then it prompted the thought experiment of, like, which could you live without or See, which okay, do you me, have to live let with? me lay out let me lay out the the team central air conditioning argument for you okay is so one you're i think you're gonna spend like on average 15 to 20 minutes a day doing dishes depending on how you know stringent you'd feel like your dishwashing practices need to be okay <laughs> but if you live without central air conditioning, and we don't even live in a super hot part of the country, but still, you're like committing yourself to being sticky and gross but what from if I just May get... to September. And the thing about here's the thing about window units is if you have to buy your own, one, when you move in, you have to buy a bunch of window units. Two, when you move out in two or three years to a place that does have central air, because hopefully you're trading up, you got to figure out what to do with those window units. Okay, that's, that's what pre- happened. That's a good argument. That's, yeah, that's what happened last time we moved, and we basically, I mean, we could hardly give them away. Okay, that's not a bad argument. Yeah. I feel like I grew up without central air, so I'm used to window units, right? That's how you came up. It's yes. Your roots, it's, it's your roots my are roots. window units. It's my roots. Um, <laughs> and... I am kind of lazy, and sure. when I do like a big, I guess this is learned from our current place. Like when we do a big cooking or we do a big baking job or something like that. A big cooking, yeah. I love coming over to you guys' place when you do your big cooking. Come on in, it's big cooking. <laughs> um, 
Then all those pots and pans pile up because they can't go in the dishwasher. Where do the plates go? They go in the dishwasher. So, like, we don't, we have a crappy sink. It's pretty shallow. So, like, if we're going to move into another place with a crappy shallow sink, you need that dishwasher to make those plates go away. That's what I'm saying. I'd rather be a little sticky because I'm going to work up a sweat from all that dishwashing anyway (laughs) than not have a dishwasher. But at this point, this, this place I looked at today is dead to me because it has neither. Yeah, like why? Who? No wonder nobody lives there. (laughs) (laughs) Why is this lady trying to leave? Well, this place is beautiful, but I can't stay. But it has nothing. (laughs) There's nothing in it that anybody would want. What's inside this fridge? A broken dishwasher. What's What's going on here? (laughs) Andrew, we should talk about the show that we do books i guess right? all right so each week some of you have just uh joined us in the last week or two so you've sort of gotten the idea uh well, somebody reads a book one of us usually andrew what did you read this week <laughs> i read looking for alaska by john green great we're going to talk about that later right now i want to talk about the book that i read last week <laughs> and i've got to say you know we got a bunch of new listeners oh, this no. week and like the first episode we slap him in the face with, other than uh, the little house on the prairie thing that Margaret helped us with, is like a torture porn book, which Ugh. is cool. Well, so, yeah, it was pretty bad. I, I do want to give a shout out to Saren, who recommended it, and uh, she was super nice and sent us a message after the episode, hoping she didn't ruin our week. And like Through several mediums, like I think we got <laughs> Facebook and Twitter from her, like being really contrite (laughs) it's totally fine because the response to the episode uh made up for it a lot of people had really nice things to say uh given that it was their first time on our stoop as it were someone asked we were going to start a separate patreon for our therapy (laughs) sessions which more on that later we're Um, we're considering it is all i can say uh olivia also put on our facebook page asking she wrote kind of asking how we felt about the exploitative nature of true crime inspired fiction like this mm-hmm. one in particular we talked briefly on the podcast about how Ketchum thought he was going to write a true crime book uh didn't think he could pull it off so he adapted it but he adapted it real close <laughs> <laughs> uh and it is gross i mean I, I i will say i didn't think about the real crime that often while i was reading it because i was so uh um you're just trying of, to make it yeah i was just i was so freaked out that i was just trying to make it through the book uh but it does skeeve me out in the same way that even actual true crime like in cold blood skeeved me out you know i don't know the, how you the, feel the fact that you were skeeved out did not was not as big a factor in our in cold blood discussion no i i that was different and i think that was actually more we, curiosity I think. I think we talked more about um how far Capote like ranged from the truth in some circumstances, like the the liberties that he took that Ketchum really, really, really did not take. Yeah, which is weird. I don't know how to. I don't know where I fall on that. I I feel like uh I'd rather he write a fiction over. I given this particular case, I'd rather read a fictional account than read about the real thing because the real thing upsets me more. How about that? Sure, I don't but know. you would be like. Overall, you'd be happier if you read this exact same book, but you couldn't go to Wikipedia and and click on all the links about how it was a real thing that really happened to real people. Yeah, I'd really wish that it wasn't a real thing that happened to real people. How about that? Can we just make the world that way where that never happened to a real person and Jack Ketchum's just a weird dude who dreamed up a nightmare book? I... <laughs> 
<laughs> I wish that we could. I would. I would do it. Uh, I would, too. And Cassie also wrote in about last week's episodes uh, saying that we neglected to mention an Amer- the movie An American Crime starring Ellen Page, which I find ironic because she's Canadian. Uh, that Ooh, was That's the crime. That's it. <laughs> we figured it out. Uh, and that was a film not based on Jack Ketchum's book, but based on the actual uh, Sylvia Likens murder. So if you didn't get enough last week, I guess go watch Ellen Page get tortured. Cool. Uh, this sequel to Juno is really weird. I don't think <laughs> I like it. it no. <laughs> I don't think I like it. Oh, no. Allison, Janney, what are you doing? Where's Michael Sarah? <laughs> He's dead. Oh no. <laughs> Let's get on with the show so I don't have to think about last week anymore. All right. Hey guys. Andrew How's it going. <laughs> Andrew, uh you read uh Looking for Alaska by John Green. Who the heck is I John did. Green? John Green is a guy who was born in nineteen seventy seven and uh, we actually we have a link to him kind of. Uh he graduated in two thousand from Kenyon College, which is the place that you and I and um Incidentally, Margaret H. Willison all graduated from. Yeah. Um, we didn't. He was before our time, but um, but he's one of their more prominent grads now, I guess. He's he's joined the ranks of others like uh, Paul Newman and Bill Watterson and the kind of people who all the tour guides trot out when they're when they're talking about why you should go there. Do you know the guy who who uh, basically invented birth control into Kenyan? What's what's the basically in there? I think though? he patented. Did he invent it? Like Al Gore invented the internet? I think, or like what are we talking about? I want to say like his patent is responsible for the commercial version that was first available. Okay. I don't know that to be Great. completely true, but I think that's what it is. Something like that. Yeah, you were you were the tour guide. So. I was a tour guide. You tell me. I won't. I want you to tell me about John Green. <laughs> okay, he's he's an author, but he's. I I was I was thinking about this earlier. Like usually when we talk about contemporary authors, it's like here's you know they were born on this date, they studied this in college, like maybe they have a dog, and <laughs> and here are the books that they wrote. But John Green is like a, a man about the internet, and so he's got a lot of other stuff that he's been up to. Um, he's aside from being an author, I think he's primarily known as a YouTube personality, he which started... I did not know. I just didn't really? know that. Yeah. I had run into his videos before. I hadn't like some people are really into them and I have never watched more than like one or two. Like I've been peripherally aware of them, but uh the original pitch, and I think this still like forms the bedrock of of all the stuff that they do, was uh him and his brother Hank were recording these, I think they were daily video diaries to each other. Like they gave so, up like text communication right 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 and then they started recording vlogs which man is like a double portmanteau so i don't think i can really endorse it double portmanteaus mess me up (laughs) a video web blog yeah i just vomited But I, I'll give John Green credit. He seems to have made a name for himself vlogging, so I guess I can't. Yeah, so he and his brother were all vlogging up the place, and <laughs> it was really successful. Like They planned to do it for a year, and it was so successful that they kept doing it after that. And it's led to them doing like educational videos. They founded this thing called VidCon, which is a big conference for um, YouTube personalities and people who just make video and stuff on the internet. Uh, yeah, it also is, led to yeah. like 
the project for awesome and another uh oh no that's that that's their like charity their microfinancing charity thing right mm-hmm. um where they're the all of their youtube fans basically have collected and give money to worthy causes and and do micro loans to worthy causes as well so yeah is it um, and it's and he's also done more conventional work too. Like he's <laughs> he's contributed to the New York Times Book Review. He's been on. He he's done um, stuff for All Things Considered. I was on All Things Considered once. Talking about Pokemon, which is cool. Yeah, I was talking about Pokemon. <laughs> of all the work that I've ever done in my life, I was on All Things Considered talking about Pokemon. Um, now, but this is his book, his first book, right? <laughs> this is his I, book. This is his. <laughs> this is, he write he write book. He write book good. This is his first book based on loosely uh, his experience at the Indian Springs School right. in really, Alabama, really loosely. right? Like yeah. more more of more of the that thing where the story is mostly a fabrication, but a lot of the characters who populate it are based on individuals or. Um, like the sum total of several individuals. Yeah, because what I've read uh, from his own words on both his website and in, in interviews is that he had a pretty, as he puts it, easy childhood. Like his, he was, you know, his family was well like enough most off. Who, most, um, like most people who went to Kenyon College. I yeah, think, like. to be perfectly honest. He was born Ugh. in Indiana. He moved to Alabama and finally uh, Michigan first, then Alabama, then Florida. Um He had another, obviously he has his brother that he's really close with, uh, and he said he spent a lot of his childhood kind of anxious and like in his his lonesome, um, which he credits as one of the reasons he's a strong writer today is he spent a lot of time reading, and I think he said, and listening to other people talk, which I think is (laughs) pretty insightful. And he was doing it at that, at an age that is uh that correlates to the bulk of the characters he writes because he does write a lot of young adult fiction yeah which is yeah which is something that we'll talk about later because this is a this is a book that was um was recommended by one of our patreon donors and what as he recommended it he wanted us to talk a little bit about our thoughts on reading YA fiction in general so we'll we'll get around to that um i guess it's the last thing about John Green is that The Fault in Our Stars is probably his biggest book, and that was released as a movie last summer, I think. So if you're like, why might I know this guy in a way that I already do but don't realize it, it's that. It's The Fault in Our Stars. It's that you went yeah, to a movie and you cried, and uh, now we're going to talk about his other book what, that might make you cry. He cries a lot, apparently, John Green does. Do you know that? That's... I sometimes I wish that I did cry more because I haven't cried since 2008. <laughs> Are you kidding? No. Oh my god, I cried. When did I? When did I last cry? Uh, pretty recently, <laughs> like a few weeks ago. I was ha- why? What, what? Tell me why. I Is it? Was it a big deal? It was not a huge deal. A friend, a friend of mine in the city, uh, was just talking to me about stuff going on in his life, and I got home, and it just kind of made me a little upset. And I didn't like—I uh-huh. wasn't like sobbing. Also, recently, the uh, big baby. I know. Also, within the past six months, at some point, I watched that movie about time that had uh, Rachel McAdams and some British dude in it, and that movie made me cry because yeah. I'm a big baby. Let's talk about our Patreon. <laughs> just can you? It's weird that I haven't cried since 2008 because 
do you know the Pixar movies that have come out between 2008 and now? <laughs> like, there's so many. <laughs> we have a Patreon project. If you don't know what Patreon is, um, you should go to patreon.com slash overduepod and find out. It's a uh, it's a kind of a crowdfunding thing where people pay content creators. I don't I don't really like that term. Where where people pay artists money for things that they're already producing. It's a way to directly support the people who make things you like. Um hopefully yes. by listening you have found that you like what we make and Patreon is a way to uh support the you know, current run of the show and future growth of the show. Yeah, I mean, we we love doing a show and we did it for a hundred episodes before we started rattling our little change jar around. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think we would, we would keep doing it for the foreseeable future, even if you guys weren't supporting us. But at this point, we have 32 people giving us a total of $136 a month, which is incredible. We put out four or five shows a month, you know, one every Monday. Um so as we as we amass more money from people, we have different goals that we're gonna hit that um that result in cool stuff for you guys. So 150 a month, which we are so so close to hitting, and I think we can push it over the edge this week. We're gonna start recording an extra bonus episode every month, and um, patrons, everybody who donates, regardless of what level they are donating at. We'll get access to that a week before we put it up in the regular feed. Um, at $250, we are going to start selling merchandise. So maybe like shirts, bookmarks, that kind of thing. We keep getting, I get, I think we get like a surprising number of questions about that. And mm-hmm. I keep, I keep having to tell myself that I, I think the Patreon, <laughs> like, I think that's, a, that's putting a good like self-imposed limit on it instead of us just like making t-shirts out of our own pockets and saying that yeah. to people. And then at um $500, we will do a live show somewhere, uh, probably in Philadelphia, which is where Craig lives and I live near mm-hmm. and, and we'll just, we'll hang out after and it'll be a really good time. So patreon.com slash overdue pod. Craig, is there anything I didn't talk about that I should have talked about? No, uh, just that. One of the main reward tiers is if you if you are so generous as to give us more than five dollars a month or five dollars a month, even uh, you your book recommendation will kick to the top of the list, and that's actually one of the reasons that we're reading, uh, looking for Alaska right now, recommended to us by Alex. So let's talk about that book, Andrew. What is the deal with Looking for Alaska? Looking for Alaska is not about the state of Alaska. What do you mean? <laughs> okay, so uh Miles Halter is our is our main character here. Okay. And he decides in his junior year of high school to go to Culver Creek Preparatory High School. Um this is a boarding school and he's decided to go there mostly because he just wants to he wants the chance that something else will happen to him. Like he's he's I think he's a John Green surrogate in a lot of ways. Okay, because he's very, you know, he's very introverted. He barely has friends at all. Um, he's he's very bookish and spends a lot of his time memorizing the last words of various like historical figures. What do you mean, last words? Like their dying breaths. Are there any that you can recall off the top of your head that are interesting? Is he like what is he focusing on? And does he have like a genre of people? He doesn't have a genre. I mean, it's a lot of it is like presidents and world leaders, like the kind of people whose last words, apocryphal or otherwise, would be recorded in okay. history somewhere. 
So um, Francois Rabelais, his last words were, I go to seek a great perhaps. And these are these are the words that convince Miles that he should go to boarding school junior year. Now, why is this his choice? What's the deal there? Does he just like tell his folks, "Yo, I'm going boarding school"? Like, yeah, is- yeah. I mean, it's it's mostly attributed <laughs> to those to those words, and it's okay. like the first chapter or so in the book where he's like in his parents' house, and only a couple people come to his quote unquote graduation party, Aww. and they barely know him, and they don't really have anything to talk about. Like, you kind of understand that he's not he's not leaving a lot behind. Okay, that's like he lo- he loves his family very much, but. The the thing that's motivating him, I think, and this is this is the boarding school I believe that his father went to, which is his like connection to it. Okay, but um, he didn't just like spin a globe and be like boarding school here. No, <laughs> no, he didn't do that. Um, but yeah, that that's his motivating thing is he just wants to go out and find something other than the the little quiet life, and like maybe it won't work out. Like that's the perhaps part of it, but. He won't know until he tries. Does does Green kind of weave that great perhaps thing into the rest of the book? Yeah, he does in a way that I guess I can talk about after I introduce some of the other characters. Sure. Um, so he he goes to boarding school and he meets a few people. Um, Chip Martin is one of them. He's commonly called the Colonel because he. Why is he called the Colonel? His name is Chip Martin. You don't need to yeah, give that I... man a nickname. Let's go. <laughs> Chip Martin is like an all American. Oh, like high school so football star. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um there there are two kind of factions in the school. Like there are the there are the rich kids and the not rich kids. Okay. And the colonel is called that because he is kind of the ringleader of of pranks that the not rich kids pull on the rich kids. Okay. And they they have kind of a weird honor system where like one group pulls pranks on the other and they they begrudgingly called truces and like they, they <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a thing where the, there can be a, a place where they both where they both have pulled the same number of pranks on each other and are both happy about that. But yeah, it's it's high school clicky stuff. Mostly, OK, I think. Um, OK, so the colonel, uh, there's Takumi, who is a good uh beatboxer not beatboxer but um a freestyle rapper <laughs> okay there's a difference but sure <laughs> yeah no i know i know i know and then um laura uh l-a-r-a who is a uh, romanian and is a, is a minor character who is sort of romantically involved with miles and then there's alaska young who is who the book is named for okay i mean he becomes close friends with them which is his first real experience with having close friends. Um, he's really skinny, so they call him Pudge. Great. I'm going <laughs> to call him Pudge for the rest of this podcast. Andrew, did you have any Old nicknames? Pudge. Did you have any nicknames in high I school? I never did. I was Andy for a while. Oh. oh. And I have just, I, the minute I came to college, I shook that one off. Did I ever tell you that I once convinced my pre-calc teacher to call me Miles, even though no other teachers ever call me Miles in my entire life? Well, because your first name is is Mylan. Is Mylan. Yeah, and he and just I, he just believed me, and all my friends were like, "What are you doing?" And even in retrospect, trolling your teacher, kind of. And even in retrospect, <laughs> I was like, "I don't know what I'm doing," but that's yeah, cool. that's kind of a lame troll, but whatever. <laughs> it worked out. It was pretty cool. I also. 
got called tank in college because I got because you were a bit of a lightweight. Yeah, I'm, as I recall, I'm a little less of a tank right now. I'm like a Humvee, <laughs> more of an all-terrain vehicle. <laughs> okay, so Pudge. So there's there's this guy Pudge, and he's friends with all these other people, and um, you know, the colonel is his roommate, and he he gets really close with him like roommates sometimes do hey we are roommates cool well hey this podcast whoa hey cool it's getting really yeah um <laughs> but his relationship with alaska is the one that the book like pivots on and so alaska is is kind of the archetypal pretty but troubled okay like she can be she can be really exciting and fun and then she can also be Really emotionally. Now, real quick, I didn't. Distant. I didn't ask you earlier. A bunch of like caricatures and stereotypes flashed in my head. When is this book set? Um, I think it's set more or less contemporaneously. It was published in two thousand five. Okay. Um, the I mean, they don't talk a lot about like their smartphones and the internet and stuff. So I think it was just they were they were in high school. At around the same time that we were in high school and college and stuff. Sure. All right. Just double so checking. Like Post internet, pre smartphone. Yeah. If you're talking about like the the hallmarks of creative works that that you really pay attention to now. <laughs> yeah, I was just I saw some like troubled girls from like a '70s movie or like a '90s movie real quick, and I needed to make sure that that's not what you're talking about. I think. I mean, I think that there are some elements of that there. Like, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the YA ness of this book. The wait, but, the what did you just say? Young, they call it YA fiction. You just said YA ness. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> You are not allowed to edit that out. That is part of the podcast forever. You are not. I'm editing this week. No. I think I can edit out whatever I I want. You better not or all our (laughs) listeners are going to be so sad because I'm going to tweet all about it. (laughs) If you edit this out, I'm going to tweet all about it. We'll talk about it later when we talk about the extent to which this is young adult fiction. (sighs) Okay, so how does he get on with Alaska? How does that Alaska thinks he's cute? Okay, and he definitely likes her a lot. Sure, but again, she's she's troubled, and we we eventually find out that the reason why she's troubled is because her mother died of an aneurysm, basically in front of her. Oh, okay, and um, she just you know she was she was a little kid, and she was sort of paralyzed with fear and like not understanding what was going on and so she didn't react she didn't call 911 she didn't do she didn't do anything that could have prevented actual mother death. from dying yeah. even though i think like I, I don't have a lot of experience with aneurysms but i feel like by the time you're having one like you're just kind of you're kind of in it like there's there's not yeah always a ton that can be done for you yeah i don't know a lot about there are uh there's a kid, a, a relative of a kid I was in grade school with who in like middle school just kind of had an aneurysm or some sort of brain incident while he was like playing a sport and then just died. And it was really, it's freaky because you don't know if you could have done anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just yeah, like yeah. that person, their body just stopped. And that's terrifying. 
It's one of those things where like there'd better be a doctor literally right beside you when it happens. Yeah, or else or, or else yeah. and even then who knows what kind of like irreparable damage the body's kind of doing to itself yeah. even while that person is in care. That's what's horrifying about it. Okay, so now I'm in Alaska state of mind. This is cool. All right. So I, we don't need to get super plot synopsis about this book because a lot of it is just, and I don't know how I always keep getting these books, but a lot of it is like a coming of age hangout book <laughs> where yeah. it's just like pals talking and pulling, pulling pranks and... Okay. And become then like in the process of growing up, I guess, like I did the marriage plot and um you should know you shall know our velocity. And I feel like there's one other one that I did goes along these lines, but I feel like I always I always draw these straws where I'm reading these coming of age novels. <laughs> well <laughs> these these things that that to some extent are all channeling catcher in the rye and just trying to see what sticks okay well then (laughs) what makes this its own thing so if you don't need to do the plot to talk because i've read a little bit about the book like is there something there's more plot to talk about okay but is there like a big thing in the plot that we should probably talk about the book is arranged into two sections cool um, before and after and this is this is going to be the biggest spoiler we talk about of course but the the event that things happen before and after is um so alaska and the colonel and pudge are all hanging out they have been drinking um they decide to play a game of truth or dare which is a pretty thinly veiled excuse for alaska to make out with pudge sure um the the implication is that they're gonna they're gonna have sex but she is really drunk and so she says to be continued and then she goes to call her boyfriend, who she has, of course. And um, and then she busts into the room. She's crying. She asks them to let her go. They do because she's been sort of volatile. And and this this isn't totally out of character for her, so they aren't super worried. But she's driving somewhere, and she basically like jackknifes a police car and dies on impact. Okay. And so everything, okay, okay. And so the rest of the book is is the rest of the friend is after coming to terms with it, and kind of kind of Pudge and the Colonel especially are trying to investigate it and figure out what she was so upset about. Mm, okay, and um, you do find out what she was upset about, and it was that she had forgotten the anniversary of her mother's death. What you don't find out. And what even Green himself and some of his some of his writings about the book says that you're not supposed to know is you you do not know if that makes her feel so bad that she commits suicide or if it was truly an accident because she was driving when she was really drunk. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that and so I that's, mean that's, that mirrors... the, that's the uncertainty that that the characters in the book and then the readers by extension have to have to come to terms with and that that mirrors the uncertainty and and kind of gut-wrenching uncertainty that it sounds like alaska herself was dealing regarding her mother's death right the like could i have stopped anything oh god i didn't stop anything yeah you know yeah how do i carry that forward in my life uh that how do i carry that question mark forward you know yeah um yeah and 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 you see the characters dealing with that and they figuring out the thing about her mother helps okay 
but you know ultimately they still don't they don't 100 percent know and they just have to come to terms with that or do they, how do they what are the different ways that they deal with it do they deal with it differently first of all uh it's not even i mean it's it's such a group effort mm-hmm. on their part i mean one they feel responsible, you know, like you said, because they they should have stopped her. They could have stopped her, and he didn't. Then they didn't. And um, you know, for for a while, Pudge is wondering if she felt so guilty that she was cheating on her boyfriend with with him. Yeah. Okay. That that was what prompted it. Yeah. That's and the fact that and the fact that it wasn't, I think, helps him a little bit. Because mm-hmm. that's 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 where the great perhaps thing comes up again. Is Alaska and you know by extension the rest of the friends give him this window into a life that he hadn't had before and so they they show him what the good side of the perhaps can be and then she goes and dies and he's he's kind of angry at her like how could you show me this and then go and do that yeah how could me yeah you know this whole chapter of my life this whole new chapter of my life was supposed to be this well, started turning out into this great, wonderful thing. Why did you give me the other side of the coin? Yeah, like I would have been happier if I'd never known about this than like you showing it to me and then dying. Is it explicit that this is like the first time that he's dealt with loss in this way? Does does definitely the, yeah. yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's it's, and the, there's a there's a good moment toward the end of the book where he so the the before and after sections of the book are numbered with days basically like you'll get 118 days after or like four days before or whatever it is does he jump back Um, and forth is the book cleanly linear no it is it is there is before and it is after it's strictly chronological um 118 days after uh so we gave up i'd finally had enough of chasing after a ghost who did not want to be discovered We'd failed, maybe, but some mysteries aren't meant to be solved. I still did not know her as I wanted to, but I never could. She made it impossible for me, and the Axis side, the suedent, would never be anything else, and I was left to ask, did I help you toward a fate you didn't want, Alaska, or did I just assist in your willful self-destruction? Because they are different crimes, and I didn't know whether to feel angry at her for making me part of her suicide, or just to feel angry at myself for letting her go. But we knew what could be found out, and in finding it out, she had made us closer. The co- the colonel and Takumi and me, anyway. And that was it. She didn't leave me enough to discover her, but she left me enough to rediscover the great perhaps. Hmm. Okay. So that's like that's that's the piece he can make with it. Is I don't I don't know whether you did it on purpose. I didn't I don't know if I had anything to do with it, but I know enough that I can still like believe in this, this possibility that I can still lead, lead this life that was different than the safe but boring life I was leading before, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because there's a couple of different ways to look at that idea of the great perhaps. And I'm not sure how, you know, I'm sure it's more fully explored in the book itself, but is it, is it a mix of, is it always this idea of hope? Or is it kind of being okay with not knowing what's going to happen? I think it's more of a hope thing, but it's it's hope mixed with 
let's see what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Well, the, the thing like, of, that's the thing yeah. about perhaps. <laughs> well, and that's the thing about hope, right? Is that the reason that people that it becomes such a cliche that people to say that people lose hope, even though it's not a cliche that it happens to people because it certainly does, is you run out of stamina for saying, all right, well, this crappy thing happened, but you know what? The sun will come out tomorrow. tomorrow. Bet your bottom, Bet your bottom dollar <laughs> that tomorrow there'll be sun. <laughs> like, you don't... you. It's a hard knock life <laughs> for us. It's hard knock life for us. You really nailed that one, Daddy Warbucks. Thanks. That's my favorite line in the play that doesn't exist. Um, oh. <laughs> Where where Annie just turns to Daddy Warbucks and is like, "Hey, nailed it! You nailed it, Daddy Warbucks! <laughs> you told that Roosevelt guy what's what." So, do, do I do you get a window into the other characters, or is this really about Pudge's experience? You do get a window into the Colonel and into Takumi, who feels a little excluded from Pudge and the Colonel's relationship with each other and with Alaska sometimes because it it comes to light toward the end of the book that he saw her before she got in the car too. He also could have stopped her, but they were so absorbed in the thought that like they were the last people who'd seen her. They were the people who the responsibility rested with. And if they'd like reached out a little more and, and they do eventually, but if they'd reached out a little more, at first they'd have found another person who was kind of going through the same thing they were. So you definitely do get how this affects other people, even though you're in Pudge's head the whole time and like over his shoulder the whole time. Well, and that seems something that's very teenage, right? Is like you experience something, you experience it intensely, especially if it's something like grief and you experience it personally in a way where you do not, you can't even imagine that other people are going through the same thing. Like, sure. Even if you bear witness to it, it takes an extra step than what your brain wants to do to be like, oh, this other person might be going through the same thing. Because you're in this like weird survival slash I'm invincible adolescent brain thing mm-hmm. that you have to grapple with your own stuff first. And then maybe that's not as purely teenage as it's as it sounds as I'm saying it right now. Cause... Well, I think like like the teenage experience is, is two things. It's, it's what you said that kind of narcissistic, but not necessarily intentionally yeah, kind of thing. But then at the same time, you are getting to an age where you really start to understand that there are people other than yourself. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> and so that, that's what the book is. It's like him trying to deal with his own stuff first, but then him also eventually getting around to thinking about how it affects other people. Well, yeah, because and like not and let not letting it wreck his friendships and his relationships and stuff. Like it's it's that's the kind of stuff that you're talking about here. Because you're also at a period in time you're at like a I forget what the neurological or, or psycho psychological term is. It's like it's an intense period of novelty. Uh and I don't just mean like novelty ice cream. Like, why would it be an intense period of novelty ice cream? Because the Greg. main character's name is Pudge. Wait, so you just think he's eating SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> popsicles all the time? Like, what are you talking about? Not every joke lands, Andrew. Deal with it. <laughs> get get. It's the great perhaps over here. The great perhaps. 
But you're this <laughs> you're in this great period of novelty, which is why like all of your favorite music is the music you listen to between ages like fourteen and twenty two, where you're discovering everything for the first time and it it has this outsize effect on your memory because everything else you experience afterwards is in is will be forever defined by the thing you experienced before in a way that doesn't happen when you're a teenager because everything is new. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I thought I saw you make a face. I couldn't tell if you wanted to talk about high school music or not. I was No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I don't definitely, think we need to talk about the Pixies and Metallica for 20 minutes, definitely, Andrew. Definitely. <laughs> is Metallica you? That's me in middle school and, and high school, okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah, like if I listen to anything other than the Pixies and Weezer in high school... <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Oh, Pearl Jam, too, I guess. Okay. Oh, geez, Pearl Jam. The other thematic thing that we can touch upon just a little bit, I really, I, we run over so much lately. We're doing fine this week. We're doing bit. fine. We're doing okay. And there are a lot of religious themes in this book that are, I think, born of John Green's study of religion in undergrad and then, you know, postgraduate as well. He almost went into, uh, he was almost like an Episcopal priest, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. didn't. He didn't continue with it because then he ended up going into publishing, which we didn't talk about this earlier, but I felt it, it worth mentioning. We've seen this come up more and more in contemporary authors, I think. What, the age-old battle between publishing and religion? Yeah, no. <laughs> good one the uh the i'm going to toil in the publishing world for five to ten years or maybe a little less if i'm lucky so that i make connections and am inspired by all the things that i'm reading and then you break out as an author on your own i I feel like that is not something we talk about as much with the like turn of the century turn of the 20th century writers uh, but it's certainly come up as we read more of these contemporary authors. Yeah, and we we have a a friend or two in publishing, so maybe they'll write a book. Be an inter- probably be an interesting thing to to talk to them and bring up on on a show sometime. Is is just what that world is like for people who are trying to to break into it because it's I don't know, like the, those people are still the gatekeepers for a lot of books. Like self published books have become a thing, but. A lot of the time, those are just like goofy things that you go on Amazon and, and you're like, oh, I can't believe they made porn about Abraham Lincoln. Like, what, what happened? Yeah, well. But a lot of the like capital L literature that's on the New York Times stuff that isn't Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Came through a publishing cur- house. It's still, yeah, curated through those gatekeepers to an extent that I don't think is as true of audio, video, writing, that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, but you wanted to talk about the religion in the book, not the publishing world. Sorry, we lost sure. the battle. Uh, no, it's okay. It's <laughs> uh, You got us again, publishing. <laughs> There's a religion professor with one lung Ooh. in the book. And um, Pudge prefers this teacher to all the other teachers that he has. And, and in the book, you spend like very, very little time in any class at all. And almost no time in any class other than this one. Okay. But this this religion professor and this class seems to exist mostly to ask context-appropriate questions that make Pudge think about what's going on in the plot of the book. Useful. Okay. 
<laughs> so there, there are two big things. There's like a midterm exam and then there's a final exam. Um, the midterm exam is about what the most important question is that religion is trying to answer. And um, the second, the, the, you know, the final exam is about like, how will we get out of this labyrinth of suffering, which is, a th- it's the, so Alaska says in her midterm essay, which is like the, one of the last things that she does before she dies, mm-hmm. that um, all the major world religions are trying to, trying to guide us out of this labyrinth. And there's um, a Simon Bolivar, this guy who, who died <laughs> his last words were about like getting out of a labyrinth. Okay. And that like that inspires conversation between Alaska and Pudge. This is what Alaska's essay is about. And so this religion professor decides to ask all of his kids for the final exam. Like, how do you get out of the labyrinth? Like how, how do you hmm. make sense of, uh, make sense of the world, make sense of your own suffering, make sense of other people's suffering, that kind of thing. And that's it's a recurring motif, yeah, of course, throughout the book. And um, uh, Pudge and the Colonel, like b- part of the evidence that they find that this was a suicide, is that at one point because of a prank pulled by the rich kids at the school, um, all of Alaska's books get soaked with water, like they redirect a gutter into her room or something. And um, so she had, she had made all the all all these notes in this book about Simon Boulevard. And they're all like washed out and the, the ink is all running except for one that was obviously written like after the flood, like in the short span of time between the flood and when she died, mm-hmm. where she says, I think it's straight and fast. That's how you get out? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that makes them think that she might have killed herself. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. And it's just, it's, I, we can't devote that much more time to it because I don't know how much more I have to say about it. But like these, these themes are one of the main, one of the one of the pillars of the book, I guess. If if you're going to talk about what makes the book capital I important to the extent that it is, like I think that's one of the things, you know. Well, is it that in the context of the characters? Right, it's not just any old book grappling with religion, right? Or grappling right, with well, like mean, it, existential questions asking, about death and yeah 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 and it's it's asking these questions of its characters and then by proxy it's asking them of you the reader and there is and I think you read it too there is in the version that I read a short list of questions from John Green yeah um, that serve as kind of discussion questions where he's talking about like how would you have answered that question if you were writing that essay and so it's really it's openly inviting you. And it's, you know, it's subtly not maybe subtle is the wrong word, but invite it invites you to do that in the text of the book itself. Well, because but the fact that he brings it up in his little his little afterward thing means that Green like explicitly wants you to be thinking about it, too. Well, and it's easier to think about as the reader, I would imagine, because it is so part of the plot of the book becomes characters trying to answer that question. It's not just like, oh, interesting. You know, right. it's, not yeah, just... it's not some philosophical question like wholly divided from the plots of what's happening in the book. Like it's it's not like, oh, how do we get out of this labyrinth of suffering? I don't know, man. 420. <laughs> and <they're... laughs> I don't know. And then, <laughs> wow, wow, that 
threw me for a loop. There's no like chapter <laughs> where they're literally in a labyrinth or like a dream where he's in a labyrinth. It's just. No, yeah. yeah. It's not like they don't have some lazy thing where he's in science class trying to get a hamster out of a maze. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, do you have an answer? I don't have an answer to the question. The second question, like, how do we get out of the labyrinth of suffering? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think I think it's surround yourself with people you love. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just going to say people. Which is corny, I guess. Which is, it's, like, closer to the, the heart than I we get on this show or joking about, about SpongeBob SquarePants popsicles. But Hey, you don't, hey, I take my popsicles really seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I was just in uh, in San Diego this past weekend at a, at a friend's wedding, a mutual friend's wedding, which unfortunately you could not attend. It's okay. I was at another friend's wedding. There's so sure, good. Fine. So Whatever. Good. Whatever. Yeah, I, I just, I cherish those moments so much where we just get to hang out like we did every day in school. Yeah, right. Because I like realize in retrospect the extent to which I took that stuff for granted, and like we can't get together for three days without some kind of thing happening, like some kind of family drama esque thing. You know, you guys have all been home for holidays, like you know how this works. Yeah, like, you you go home intending for everything to be wonderful, and you've missed everybody, and then after two days, you get in a fight with your sister about something that happened ten years ago. Well, and. Yeah, the other side of it, too, is just that, like, it's holding on to, like, people and things from your past that are worth carrying forward, dropping what's not worth carrying forward, and keeping your eyes open for people along the way that are going to be the new people worth carrying forward, you know? Yeah. Um, which is tough, because I, you were you were, when you were talking earlier about the way that the characters... Um, the way that Pudge and the Colonel like blame themselves for her death or try to or kind of define their role in, in her death by what information they have. It's it's this kind of really high stakes version of, of what a lot of us do on a regular basis of, mm-hmm. you know, I am this person, I am such and such to this person and that makes me feel this way. Um like I am defined by how I relate to this other person or who I work for, who I work with. Um, and that's not, that's not never, it's always going to be true, but there's also other stuff that you can. Always is a good way to say not never. I had, way, I had to figure that Sorry out. about that. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? I'm Getting a little, no, def- getting a little lost no. in a labyrinth here, but um, jeez, don't start crying over there, you big, big softy. <laughs> hey, I'd like softies too, just as much as God. popsicles. Oh, we brought it back around. <laughs> um, the so the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which is a question that Alex, the the listener who recommended this to us, asked, mm-hmm. and incidentally, another Kenyan alum, like we're Kenyan wall to wall this week, um. He says to us, I wanted you guys to read this book, not just because I am fond of it, but also because I think it would be an interesting springboard to discussing YA literature and whether it's okay for grownups to read it, since I do, in fact, read an above average amount of it, but partially because I partly for work because I run my store's children and teen department. (laughs) I sell a lot of stuff at a major chain bookstore. 
and while yes much of it is to teenagers a somewhat shocking amount is to adults and not to stereotype but a lot of this is to women in their early 20s to mid 30s so basically the older end of the millennial generation I know every lit blog has had this discussion last year, but I felt like you guys were overdue for a show wherein one of you reads a YA novel and not some predictably crappy dystopian series like The Hunger Games, which I do like, or Divergent, which I don't like. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. Okay. I know you guys did The Giver a while ago, but I would like to hear you talk about something more contemporary. Um, I would like to go on record as saying that as an adult, of course, you are entitled to read whatever you like. And a lot of YA literature is good literature, but I feel like a good segment of the YA crowd is reading it for the wrong reasons, either ease of reading level or an inability to deal with adult subject matter. Not that there isn't a lot of that in YA. So that's that's the end of his note. Hmm. I don't I, I don't personally have an opinion. A lot, a lot of the reading I'm doing these days is for the show. Just partially why we did the show to make sure I, so I read. <laughs> um, here's what here's what I'm going to say about my response to looking for Alaska is that I did not like it as much until I started reading about the context surrounding the book. Okay. Because I, I mentioned a little bit before that, that a lot of these books are channeling Catcher in the Rye to varying degrees of success. And I think this one succeeds because it's more upbeat and more interesting than a lot of like would be catcher in the rise. Okay. Like you don't hate every character the way that you hate Holden coffee. Yeah, of course. It seems like all these people are generally good people. Fundamentally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't have a, a strong sense of it. I, I feel like this book, this one was published in 05 or 06, right? 05. Yeah. So it, it's, it sort of predates the big, uh dystopian fiction craze that we're currently in um it doesn't predate like harry potter which went from like children's book to young adult reading as well and here's all, and here's know. the thing about here's the thing about that is that there are people who credit john green and this book in particular with shifting some ya fiction back to more realistic themes and away from Harry Potter, like magical escape. Yeah, yeah. Well, this won the Prince Award, which is like a the Adult Library Association uh, award for excellence in you know young adult literature, yeah. uh, which wasn't started as far as I can tell, which is like began in t- two thousand. So he's pretty early on in people recognizing this reading level it feels like weird to call genre, it a genre I right guess. because he's writing it kind of is though because <sighs> yeah okay think about like the the book okay so i initially thought this book was a little done you know like i thought it was a little trite maybe is like there are all these high schoolers they're sitting around they're drinking they're smoking they're coming of age one of them dies they all have to grapple with it like on paper that sounds that sounds banal like that sounds like it's been done a million times before and it kind of has sure but if you think about it through the lens of ya fiction one thematically it's bringing up some interesting questions like the the great perhaps stuff the religion stuff that we talked about two actual young adults who are reading this are not going to have the context that people who are even like modestly well-read are going to have that's i was gonna toss it there because i think that being these books are about many of them are about these 
kind of big life experiences that happen to you and you don't have 25 years of other stuff that's happened to you that make you the way you are that give you obstacles to overcome your obstacle to overcome is that you don't know what's going to happen next um so if you pick up this book there are plenty of books that i remember very strongly that i'm sure if i read them for the first time now regardless of whether or not they'd been hyped or regardless of whether or not someone had recommended them to me i might not have a strong reaction to it and we've encountered one or two of them on the show yeah, definitely. Like I, I know in I know as much as I know anything that if I read Dune when I was fifteen, I would like it a lot more than I did when I when I read it as an adult. Not that I didn't like it, but I think it would have made more of an impression. It would have stuck with me more. I would have thought it was a lot cooler if I if I had read it at a certain time in my life rather than the time that I did read it. And we talked about that a little with The Giver too, right? Is that there mm-hmm. are there are big gaping holes in the giver. Of yeah, like, but I love that book because I read it when I was in like fifth grade or whatever. Like I read it at the age that it was kind of written to be read at. Yeah. There's, and I think that's true with stuff like, I don't know, like Bridge to Terabithia, mm-hmm. um, Where the Red Fern Grows. Like there are a lot of those books. Um, Shiloh even maybe. Yeah, that's probably even airing a little younger but sure yeah yeah i mean all, all those books are, are kind of in that nebulous like fifth grade to eighth grade mm-hmm. sort of sort of place but um but yeah so so this book once once i started thinking about it in that context there was a book that i read as an actual young adult called the face on the milk carton i think i don't recall that book and um, God, I'm trying. I'm, I should have looked up more about what it was about because I remember almost nothing about it. But I remember there was, you know, there was somebody. I think it was some girl saw a face on the milk carton, and it was her face. Okay. And she eventually came to realize that she was a kid who had been swiped from her actual mom. Huh. Okay. By whoever her current parents were, or something like that. I think that was that was the that was the thrust of it. And there, so th- there were like identity issues. There were some sexual things that were brought up, and it, like it was very mild. Yeah. By any standard that I would be judging it by now, but because I read it at the time, it really left an impact on me. And I think this book would be the same thing because you have you have identity stuff, you have religion stuff, you have like where is my place in the universe stuff. You have a kid getting his first awkward blowjob where his girlfriend, who is only his girlfriend for one day, puts his penis in her mouth and it just kind of sits there because she doesn't know what to do after that, which rang like truer than anything has ever rang to me before in my life. You didn't say we <laughs> needed wish, an explicit tag for this episode. It's not an explicit thing. It's something that happened in the book. I didn't say any cuss words. Oh, my God. People know what a blowjob is. Do they? Yeah, you do. <laughs> hey, listeners. How you doing? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think uh, that a lot of the, the why... Maybe Alex's concern about people reading YA stuff right now is... Um, I don't know. It's twofold because there's plenty of like capital L literature that starts playing so much with what literature is 
mm-hmm. that it's easy to be like, oh, I'm not into that. You know, it's not like people, you can write a, a quote unquote important book and not have it be like plot driven or you can play around with form or you can play around with structure and that's exciting to a certain group of people but some people just kind of want to read an experience that feels familiar to them or makes them feel better about a feeling that they have you know yeah like i was i was gonna say you know he's he's worried that people are reading it for the wrong reasons and i think that if this is the only kind of stuff they're reading as an adult adult and not a young adult it feels comfortable and familiar and safe because you're reading through, you, you know, th- there are going to be a lot of people who read this who did not have a friend die at a pivotal time in their, in their like high school careers. But a lot of the struggles and the emotional stuff and the thematic stuff is going to be familiar to them because they've kind of been through that phase of their life where they're figuring that stuff out already. Well, and I wonder there's probably, and so it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make them think so much as they look at it and, say oh yeah that's me Mm -hmm. like that that happened to me or whatever not that that's not valuable but it's very there are a lot i mean if you you want to go back to the girl next door or something like that i don't i don't i don't but okay that is something that made you think about stuff that was well outside your comfort precisely and i'm not i'm not saying that that's the only kind of book that you should read (laughs) because i think there are ways to go outside your comfort zone that are not so terrible but well, but, he, you know, that that's the thing about, like, adult adult literature. Like, take Kurt Vonnegut or somebody, for example. Like, you read one of those books and you're going to come away with something that you had not thought about before. Maybe. Like, I guarantee that. I, yes and no, I think we're going to go along. So just buckle up. Um, I yeah. feel like Vonnegut, though, depending on how you see the world, there might be, like, a cynicism or sarcasm that is very comfortable to you. So, like reading you know what i mean like reading <laughs> maybe that is why like Vonnegut gets so much so if, if you read like something by john green and it's asking you to invest more emotionally in these characters as as you know teenagers with all this stuff going on that is outside your comfort zone i don't know i'm not it's, it's apples to oranges kind of thing but yeah um I, and i also real I guess... quick before we run out of time I wonder, too, if the current trend for what he said of, like, people in their 20s reading young adult fiction. Someone should write a paper about this, not me. Um, Or at at least, like, a thought catalog article of, like, (laughs) is it because of other socioeconomic and cultural factors that is, like, delaying traditional adulthood vis-a-vis 30 years ago? Um, of like where people were in their lives at the, oh. at this age, like if you're mm-hmm. more people feel like they're doing more figuring it out in their twenties, or at least being more vocal about it. Thanks, Facebook Developing and Twitter, adulthood or, or yeah, whatever, whatever the is. whatever yeah. the latest word for it is, that something like this feels far more valid to your experience, far more relevant to your experience as someone in their twenties, as fewer and fewer people like get married and have kids and have a house by 24. So if our listeners hear that and think, Craig, you're dumb or Craig, that thing totally makes sense. And it speaks to my experience and makes me feel really (laughs) warm and happy and, and welcome inside. 
Uh, you can write to <laughs> overduepod at gmail.com and tell us all those things. All those things, excuse me. That's where Cassie sent her email uh, from earlier in this episode. You can also tweet at us at twitter.com slash overduepod. It's getting a little getting a little busy out there on the Twitter. So real quick, um, thanks to Margaret and her debates on Turkish delights. I'm going to run down the list. Uh, Nasha, Gloria, Maya, Margaret, John Flad, Alyssa, Tony, Deb, Tim, Diesel Von Trapp, Mary Ellen, Joseph, Rachel, M.A. Robinson, Amanda, Amber, Saren, Ducky, Heather, and probably some other people too on Twitter. Thanks for tweeting about the show and tweeting at us. It's a great way to connect with you. Uh, you can also put some notes on our Facebook page uh, like Olivia and Saren did. Uh, we got some suggestions for the podcast from Sarah this week, as well as plenty of really lovely and generous comments on our uh, new listener post that Andrew put up. Um, so since we've got a bunch of new folks coming in joining us, we figured we would give them tips on what to listen to. Andrew, where would they go if they wanted to find those things? If you wanted to hit that new listener page where we've put up 10 episodes of the show, we've done 110 of them, I think this is. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, if you're a new listener and you're you're looking for a place to start, go to OverduePodcast.com. Up there, we've got the new listener page. We've got RSS links. We've got iTunes and Stitcher links. Um, we've got a link to our Patreon page, which, like we talked about earlier, is a great way to financially support the show. If you want to support the show and you can't donate, which we absolutely, totally, 100% understand, um, leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Whatever algorithm it is that determines the top podcast on iTunes has been broken for our podcast for like two months, but it came back online this week and we blew back up into the top 10 of all literature podcasts on iTunes. We were very, very briefly in like the 280 somethings of all iTunes podcasts yeah, we were. overall which is fantastic. Your ratings and reviews help us raise in those ranking, rise in those rankings and they help other people discover the show. So do do that. I will probably post a note about that on our Facebook and Twitter pages um, sometime this week. That's facebook.com slash overdue pod and twitter.com slash overdue pod. Since I don't know if we mentioned those URLs. We did. Um, okay. Sure. You did. Sure. You did. Perhaps you did get it. Yeah, I get it. Great for half. What are you reading next week? You and I are. What are we reading next week? Uh, breaking breaking the mold here. We're reading How Not to Write a Novel uh, by Howard Middlemark and Sandra Newman. Kind of a reverse how-to book. Which will give us kind of an opportunity to review some of the stories we've already read for the show. Which will kind of be fun. Mm -hmm. um, as well as just... There's a lot. I've, I've there's a lot of snark in this book, so we'll, I haven't started it yet. So we'll, I'm I'm excited to to follow you into this into this jungle. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all of our new listeners. Thank you to Margaret H. Willison. Thanks to all of our old time uh, listeners. Thanks for all of our old time listeners who is who are just so amazing. But. Um, thank you to Margaret for mentioning us on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour and to all of you who found us through that podcast. Thank you so much. Welcome. We don't talk about stuff like The Girl Next Door very often. We'd swear. We promise. Um, and we will see you all hopefully next week. And until then, try to be happy.
I am record. That's weird. I'm recording. But I'm recording. But I am the one who is recording. <laughs> Are you recording into your wait, microphone? Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. But wait. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ready? I don't know. 